You know, um, to be honest, I, I've never fallen under that common delusion that if I just get here, I'll be okay. And let me tell you why. It's not because I'm not susceptible, susceptible to it. It's because I felt like I started so far behind or below that I needed to get to a lot of steps before I was at the place that I could, like, really climb. But some of you guys know what I'm talking about. If I could just finish high school or if I could just get this job or just finish college or just move out of this town or just get this, this person, this significant other person in my life. If I, could, if I could just get to this level of salary, if I could just make it to retirement, if I could just get this bill paid off, uh, we, we have all kinds of markers, and some of them have a sense of satisfaction to them, but some of them, some of them wind up disappointing us a great deal. I'll never forget reading the story of Dion Sanders uh, really, really, really getting to a brand new place with God the night he won the Super Bowl. He was a phenomenal athlete, if you're not familiar with him. He's the only guy ever to, to play a football in a football game and a baseball playoff game in the same day, which to me is mind-boggling if you like sports. He was in an NFL game, got on a plane, went and played uh, for uh, for the Atlanta Braves in the playoffs. That's just crazy to me that you could switch gears and do both things. And so uh, he finally reached one of his main goals, which was to win the Super Bowl. And he, he did what a lot of Super Bowl guys do. He, he celebrated big time the night of the win. And he, he went to bed that night thinking, now I've arrived. But he didn't have a sense that he had accomplished anything. He's like, is this it? If success is what I've said would be it, and this is what I said was success, this isn't it. And by his own testimony, you can find it on YouTube, he's told it several times, he rolled out of bed and onto his knees and began to plead out to God. Because he realized he had arrived at nowhere. That doesn't even touch the story of Naomi. After having left Bethlehem and gone into Moab for 10 years, having lost her husband to whatever death, we don't know how he died, sons married two foreign girls and both her sons died. She now hears the famine is over in Bethlehem and she's going back home. And tonight she'll arrive in town. And the first words spoken to her, you'll know that Naomi absolutely does not feel like she's arrived. I mean, I've gotten here, but I haven't arrived. I used to work with a guy. Uh, David, you remember Shorty. I can't even remember his, his real name, but he was 80-something years old, and I asked him one day, I says, hey, man, why don't you retire? He says, I feel like if I retire, if I stop moving, it'll be the end of me, you know? And, I, and that just stuck with me. I, I thought I was young. I says, man. I'm never, no way, man. I'm going to retire the moment I can retire. I'll be 50 in August, and I'm starting to think I cannot fathom slowing down. Because if I slow down for more than a few minutes now, i got to get help to get up. So I've taken, I've taken retirement off of my bodily, you know, like I haven't put a date on it. God's just going to have to tell me when to slow down. Sometimes arriving isn't arriving. Here's what I believe about the most important thing about tonight's message is this. 
Acceptance of God's sovereignty is the place of rest in the believer's life. You, you want that in country boy terms? Let's stop drawing the parameters. Let's start drawing near the person. Let's stop drawing the parameters of arrival, and let's start drawing near the person who's infinite. Just rest in God. Rest in God. Four short verses that I believe are power-packed, not only with the continuing lesson of what God's doing through the life of Ruth and her family, but also some very relevant things for us today. Ruth chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Father, thank you for this time in your word. I pray, God, pray that you will open up this word to us and give us a vision, a vision of your sovereignty. More importantly, open us up and implant in us fresh faith and give us the good sense to plant it right back in you. In Jesus we pray, amen. So Wednesday nights, we've been going through Psalms for almost two and a half years now. And this Wednesday, we were on Psalm 121. And if you come to a lot of these psalm studies, what's something you hear me say all the time? This is my favorite psalm. <laughs> so basically, out of 150, 130 of them are my favorite psalm. Well, Psalm 120 is one of my favorites. 121 is one of my favorite psalms. I put that whole thing up here, and it's kind of small print, but I, I did it not to blind you, but to show you something. Look how many times the word keep or keeper is here. Or maybe if you're looking in your translation, some of them say keep, and then they'll switch to preserve. It's the same Hebrew word. The word is shamar. Shamar. I mean, Christina, Shem, Gar, Shamar, Adams. It's got a nice ring to it. There's this, there's this, there's this truth about these psalms here. Uh, Psalm 120 through 124, they're, they're, a, they're a whole group of songs of ascent. They're made for the people to sing as they come up from pilgrimage to the temple. Now, could you imagine preparing your heart for worship, singing these words? I lift up my eyes to the hills from whence does my help come. My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. And then look at how many times this word shamar, shamar, shamar. Wednesday, I, I told him a story about Rachel when Rachel was really little. Um, she always loves it when I tell stories about her. So, you know, happy Mother's Day or something. Um, she wanted desperately to learn how to jump into the pool, but she was deathly afraid. And, uh, you know, at some points, I remember I, the picture in my mind, I remember her feet. I was looking at her feet. I was like, how can she still not be in the pool? I mean, so much of her feet are over the edge, but she, she won't let go, you know. And, and, and I'm down here going, I got you, I got you, I got you, I got you. 
she did not believe me at all. But when she finally jumped and she found out I had her, what do you think she did right away? Again and again and again until I was at that point. You guys have heard me quote my grandmother a ton. It's one of the funniest things I ever heard. My grandmother would say, y'all want these babies to walk and talk, and then all you do is tell them to sit down and shut up. I regretted begging her to jump off that edge by the end of that one pool visit because she was up and down. But you know what happens, right? Pretty soon, my coaching days are over, and she's just jumping in. She's jumping in. It's not even that she's got it. What's got it? Water. Water's got it. Physics. God designed creation physics. And now, you know, I can't remember the last time Rachel asked me to catch her when she jumped in. Maybe this summer, Rachel. Maybe we could go, like, to McGee's Mill Bridge. I got you! But I think day by day, week by week, maybe, Andrew, hour by hour, God is sort of calling out to his kids going, Shamar, 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 Shamar. It's not I got you, it's better. Keep you. It's not I'm going to catch you, it's I'm never going to let you go. I got you. You want me to jump right now, Ezra? You going to catch me? You got <laughs> Somehow, I do not believe this will work out good for him. <laughs> Andrew Q. Physics. <laughs> so tonight, we're going to see a woman in a tremendous amount of pain, probably in some pain in some ways that none of us can imagine. What's it like to see 10 years, what she feels like, gone, wasted, ruined, wrecked, Husband gone, both children gone. Now she's lost a daughter, and she's headed back home to face everyone's thoughts and probably most problematic her own. Not only that, dismal prospects for a woman in her time. I don't want you guys to just see the pain in Naomi's story. I've been praying that God would inject some hope into yours, that you would hear his voice not saying, jump again, I've got you, saying this instead, shamar, 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 I've never let you go. There is no safer place to be than in Christ Jesus. Neither the, the heights above, the depths below, powers, principalities, Nothing on earth and nothing in heaven can separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, beloved children, could you hear him saying to you, Shamar, Shamar, Shamar. And could you take one more step, maybe two? Would you join me in the story? Four big thoughts and some lessons and the hymn. Look again with me at verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Wow, she's causing uproar here, hasn't she? The whole town is stirred. 
It doesn't take much in a small town to get people stirred up. And if you were to read nine commentaries, I chose that number because I read nine commentaries, you get about seven ideas of why people were abuzz. Truth be told, it was probably all the reasons given. One person spent two or three pages basically saying Naomi must have looked rough. I went, wow, that's encouraging. I love it, as a matter of fact, when I run up on people who I haven't seen since high school, the best answer I've ever heard in my life is, hey, Tim, there's two of you now. It's funny. It's not helpful, but I like, good to see you too. Teeth lying through now. <laughs> One person spent the whole time saying that there was a field of rumors about her, and they were all saying, I can't believe she's back. The truth is, we don't know why they're a buzz exactly. We're only left guessing. Ask me, it's probably all those reasons. You're back? You're back from Moab? Where's your family? What happened to you? The town is literally a buzz. Here's something I want to I share with you. Don't judge where you're going by looking at where you are. Consider Naomi's journey if you can. If you can put yourself on a dusty road in her shoes. You can do a lot of thinking as you're walking. You can do a lot of thinking. If you don't know what that's about, then take a walk with David Solomon sometime. He's logged hundreds and thousands of miles. David, can you do a lot of thinking while you're walking and running? A lot of thinking. They tell me, if you go and look up how far it is from, from Moab to Bethlehem, they tell me it's, it's, it's a 30 miles. One person says 60 miles. One person said 1,819 miles. There was such a wide range that I did this thing called map. And I got it out, and I found Bethlehem, and I found the border of the closest town to ancient Moab, which would be in Jordan now. And, and the way the crow flies, it's just a few miles. The way you walk, it's 30 miles over some of the roughest terrain around. How deep was she in Moab? I don't know. Best educated guest, it was probably a 50, 60-mile walk, 7 to 10 days in length. And every step of the way, visiting not only the terror of the past 10 years, but the fears of what lies ahead. Can you imagine? At some point along the way, Orpah goes, yeah, I'm going back home. What day were they in? I don't know. Was it day one, day four? I don't know. Was it day seven? Were they, were they almost within sight of Bethlehem when they had that fateful conversation? I don't know. But that same day, Ruth says, I ain't going nowhere. And Naomi says, I'm not saying anything else to her. And I almost imagine, though the text doesn't say it, I almost imagine the rest of the walk became heavily silent. I mean, let's be honest. Let's be honest. I was, last time I was in Walmart, I had to go from the frozen section over to the medicine, and just walking across Walmart made me mad. The longest I've ever walked in my life, I walked 120 miles in three days. I'm still angry about that. The last time I took a long walk was in the mountains. It was 27 miles. Mountains go up and down and up and down. I'm still mad about that. But what is it like when you're going back 
to somewhat of a known that you'll experience in a way you never have before? What's it like to go back to what seems like your best option and it still seems terrible? Remember the saying I taught you last week, the preacher way to say it? Condemned if you do, condemned if you don't. And what must every step be like? This past Monday, it was funny. A friend of ours came and took some headshots of the My Life Matters staff for our website. And uh, we said, hey, can we help you with anything? She said, it'd be great if you get to carry these bags for me. And she's like, if it's not too heavy for you. I was like offended a little bit. I was like, Is, was it my age? Did this, you know. And so I said one of my defensive things. Lady, I used to tote a machine gun. I mean, you know. What? And then once I got it, I, you know, I stood tall and, and walked out to her car. And I didn't show her I was out of breath until she left. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day to her, too. But can you imagine every soul-shaking, heart-breaking step along the way? Can you imagine what it was like for Naomi to think about the last 10 years of life in Moab as she made her way back to Bethlehem? Can you put yourself in her shoes? A lot of times, folks, we're looking at right now and think we got a grasp over forever. Right now feels like a waterfall, a rock slide, a mudslide, an asteroid all at once. It is landing on us and we can't see past the moment. In Christ Jesus, the moment is never our whole story. As I was thinking about this this week, I, I got an email. Just today, as a matter of fact, I get an email from Crossways articles, their blogs. I, I read almost everyone, not everyone, but almost everyone. Well, today was for tired moms. And Andrew, it's funny, you mentioned like babies crying in the middle of the night, and, and I did this. Yes. Because mine are grown. And when they cry in the middle of the night now, I don't care. <laughs> but the other night, the other night, this older child of mine, the curly-headed one, was up at 1 in the morning in the bathroom, and she woke her middle-aged father up in a one-bathroom house, and she stayed in there forever. The next day, I said to her, I said, Katie, why in the world are you taking a shower at one in the morning? She says, I wasn't. What in the world was you doing in there? Brushing your teeth, brushing my teeth. For an hour? How many set do you have? If I would have looked at all of our relationship in that one moment, your boy would be in jail right now because I'd ready to beat that child. I don't know if y'all know what happens to middle-aged people in the middle of the night if they get woke up. But I blame you. Listen, listen. He's listening. Listen, listen. Right now, right now, right now, you're looking at some areas of your life and you're you're thinking you know the whole story. In Christ Jesus, you're not even at the edge of eternity. You're hanging out in the waiting room. He's got more, more, more. He even calls what we perceive as losses in our, in our lives as, as our pathway to being far more 
than conquerors. More than conquerors. All the things we're losing so that we can further get into him, he said, oh, man, that's your victory. Ruth arrives in town with a horizon out in front of her. She says, I'm, I'm with the Lord. Naomi arrives in town, and she's going, I can't see it. <laughs> so let me give you a lesson, and it's going to seem like I'm going the other way. It is in a way. Here's a lesson. Seek to understand where you are going when you judge where you are. Now, bounce back and forth right there, Grant, real quick. On the one hand, I'm saying, bounce back, don't judge where you're going by looking at where you are. And then on the other hand, I'm saying, seek to understand where you are going when you judge where you are. That, that feels kind of proverbial. That's because it's meant to be. It's meant to put you in this tension. Uh, Brett, the other day, we were talking to a pastor, and Brett brought up a time where these guys were having all these these opinions on the end times, and, and, and then, Brett, I'd honestly forgotten about that story, and I just told the guys, I said, well, I'm a, I'm a pan-millennialist, and they said, well, what's that? I said, I believe it'll all pan out. <laughs> because my simple theory is this, and, and, I, and I say theory just to soften the blow, perhaps it's for your sanctification, you know. My simple theory is this. If you are abiding in Christ, whenever he come to get his folks, you're going to be all right. Somebody say Amen. So here's the question today. Point blank, are you in Christ? Because if you're in Christ, no matter how painful your present day story is, it's not your whole story. If you're not in Christ, no matter how painful your present day story is, it gets worse. Feel that tension. Believer, believer, don't, don't just look at where you are, look at where God is taking you. Believer, Make sure today that you're abiding, because that's your only safe escape. Second big lesson, excuse me, second point, second big idea. Pain and struggle can lead to some very wrong conclusions, even when experienced on a good, a good foundation. You can go through some things, you can have a good foundation, and you can develop some very wrong conclusions. If you look at what Naomi says, it's actually pretty profound. She, she straight goes off. I mean, she's mad. She's mad. Now, let me talk to the fellas in the room in a minute. You, you ladies just hold your offense till I'm done. Have you guys ever done something where your wife was mad at you? Raise your hand. Your wife ever been mad at you? You other guys are lying, okay? <laughs> Have you ever done the thing where your wife was mad at you and you could clearly tell she was mad at you, but you honestly had no clue what you did? <laughs> Matt said, I always know what I did. Matt's like, I was breathing. <laughs> she didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we, we, we do that thing, right? And then we start trying to figure out, like, okay, what did I do? I did all these things. They all seemed okay to me. One of them wasn't okay. And then you ask her, and once she finally tells you, you found out most of them were not Okay. And you start saying, oh, wow, I'm in, I'm in trouble here. You ask Naomi what's going on, and she'll straight tell you, God has done me wrong. And she makes a list. We'll hit on it in just a second. But I'm just saying, I like her worldview. Her worldview is God. She's not a pagan. She's not saying the God of the weather brought the famine. Uh, 
the God of, of bad marriage ruined my husband, the, the God of children ruined my children. No, she says God. She, she is not a pagan. She is not an atheist. She is a believer in God. She has a sure foundation, but she's come up with some wrong conclusions. She goes straight off. But from a Christian worldview, from a biblical worldview, from a theistic worldview, she says, you know, if you could sit down with her, taking a break on that long walk, she said, you could say, listen, what, you know, it was the weather, the weather, no, no rain, you know, that caused the family, who, who, who made the weather? Or, or was the bugs that ate up the crowd? Well, who made the bugs? She, she would have told you, like, every, everything you say, if God is good, why do bad things happen to good people? Ah, oh, there's the conclusion issue. She has put it all on God and hasn't considered a bit what is on her. That's where the wrong conclusions come in. She hasn't considered the decision she and Elimelech made to leave the covenant geography. She hasn't considered the decision she and her husband made to leave the covenant people. She hasn't considered the decision she and her husband, or, or at least she made, in allowing their sons to marry pagan women outside of the covenant. Nowhere in here does she see that the root of all this is she stopped trusting God to be God. Now, I'm not beating Naomi up, because guess what? I've been Naomi. Remember when God confronted Adam in the garden, what did he say? It's that woman you gave me. It's Eve's fault, but you gave me Eve, so it's you. Happy Mother's Day, by the way. What's our second lesson? I think we can see from this that Naomi's grief was natural, and God did not condemn her pain. I want to point this out emphatically. Some of us get this idea that we have to be nice in our prayers all the time. You can wail in your prayers. You can lament. You can say hard and painful things. Most of the time, we, we, we have this projection. We've, told, we've been real with people, and they betrayed us or hurt us or not paid attention to us, and we start thinking God acts this way. I love that Naomi goes off. You know why? Because it tells me I can go off in God won't condemn me either. When I'm really sad or really hurt or really confused, I can, I can, in my wrongness, still hold on to God. And I find this very comforting. You read the rest of the story, you read the rest of the Bible, nowhere in the Bible does it say, oh, that trick Naomi. Nowhere. God never, you ever notice God never condemns Job? He questions Job, but he doesn't condemn Job's complaints. That's monumental. Guess what, guys? You can cry out to God. Thirdly, what Naomi teaches me is a sure foundation can handle a sorrow-filled vent. If you, if you look at what she says, and we could actually spend a while on it, she, she basically says four things. She says, God has made her bitter, God has brought her back empty, God has opposed her, and God has afflicted her. She goes off. As soon as she sees in women, is this Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. And if you know what that name means, and I bet you everyone does, it means pleasant. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. Don't, don't even say, don't even say, there's Miss Nice Lady. Say, there's Miss Mad. She 
She contrasted her former life with her present situation, and she says, I come back with nothing, and it's all God's fault. But you know what she does? She stands there and says all of that. But the truth is, she wasn't empty. Ruth stood right there with her. And along the way, Ruth said, I'm going to be with you no matter what. If you got a no matter what friend, if you got one no matter what friend in this life, man, you got a lot. I like, I like the phrase young people use. They said, that's my ride to die. We st- this is a joke. All you very nice Christian people, calm down. But back in my teenage days, we called them body hiders. One of your good friends is a body hider. I'll never, I'll never forget. I think Sharon just fist bumped Barbara. They've hit a body. <laughs> we will now move into our prayer meeting portion of the, the gathering. I don't know what just happened back there. Okay. My, I had two great uncles who, who ran a store together, and I, I would do what a lot of country folks do. I would, I would go down there and hang out. I was, I was probably eight or nine, and these guys were talking about the rumor that somebody had hit a body out in Robertson Swamp, and there's this guy smoking filterless palmals. You know, the, the ashes on him was about 13 inches long. Hadn't said a word. And he talked like this, you know, like this. He's puffing that cigarette. He said, I'll tell you what you do. You always keep a plowed field. It's just a grave that nobody thinks about. Man, y- your boy was freaked out. <laughs> I started, you know, I-, I had a bicycle at that time. Later on, I graduated to a motorcycle. I st- that man kept a plowed field my whole life. That man hit a body. If I saw him, I ain't going to call his name some of his family's. Let's just say his name was Smith. Hey, how you doing, Mr. Smith? Anything I can do for you? <laughs> Ruth says, I'm empty. God has just given her a ride to die daughter. I'm not going anywhere, Mom. I'm with you. I'm with God. Whatever our fate is, I'll share it. She felt empty. She wasn't empty. God was still at work. Friends, I want to tell you, write this down. Tweet it if you need to. Feelings will disrupt faith if faith doesn't direct feelings. And in this moment, that girl was in her feelings. Let's be honest. Any of y'all have ever been in your feelings? Amy lied in front of God. Amy said never. Whoo, girl. Linda, your daughter going to get struck back, back up. Anybody ever been in your feelings? You ever let your feelings make you say, think, or do something really dumb? Anybody? Yeah, man. I love Naomi. Girl is in her feelings 10 years worth. How many steps worth? I don't know, but she's hurting and she's mad. And right now, her feelings are winning the day, and I don't even, I'm joining God and not condemning her. Somebody say amen. I don't condemn you, girl. I'm I'm over here like this, girl, tell it. I'm standing standing in the middle of town. Just tell it, tell it. I'm going to start complaining. You do not know what my man did the other night. (laughs) Let me tell y'all, I'm not complaining. It just cracks me up. uh, Back in the fall, our heater went out, and we didn't have it for a couple months, and they were having trouble shipping all kinds of stuff. And I was so excited. The technicians came to the house and said, oh, 
the part's under warranty. I'm like, fix that bad boy. I got the bill for $1,403. I said, huh? Yeah, man. <laughs> I, see, I was in my feelings with the good news, and I got in my feelings with the bill, too. I called the owner of the company. I said, we need to talk. <laughs> he said, yeah, the parts. Parts. <laughs> Some of them. <laughs> a lot of us, a lot of us, you know, we move from thing to thing to thing, being wrecked around by our feelings. I'm with Naomi. I understand. So what's a lesson I can take from this? This. Naomi's recognition of God's sovereignty was right, and it was a sign of deep faith. Now, she was wrestling with God. She was struggling with God. Her feelings were kicking her behind. But she's right to stick with God. College students, you go off to college, you'll have big questions. Hang with God while you ask them. The devil in that classroom will tell you you got to walk away from God to answer your big questions. Another lesson. Naomi's interpretation of God's providence, and I chose these words very carefully, was immature, incomplete, and incorrect. Why was it immature? Because she wasn't through growing. Somebody say amen. I don't know who the oldest person in this room is, so I'm not going to pick them. <laughs> Joanne said it's right. <laughs> you know, but I, I don't care how old you are, you're not glorified, so you are spiritually immature. You got a lot of growing left to do. Say amen. They were incomplete because their story wasn't done. Say amen. Redemptive history isn't done. And they were incorrect. They were incorrect because she couldn't see where it was all going. And thus she was mistaken. Somebody says, it seems like you're saying Naomi's okay. I mean, it seems like you're saying she's messed up. I am. She's okay in God and still got a lot of growing left to do. Somebody say amen. And last but not least, because I see the time has, Wow. It hasn't bothered me, but it's all gone. If you look at verse 22, it's a story of hope. Look back at verse 22. It says, so Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is cool. L listen to this big point right here. Hope springs up when the elect of God understand they are returning to a home from which they never came. Naomi's coming back home. That makes sense. Ruth is coming back home, but she's not from there. Suddenly, Ruth has come back home to a place she never belonged. How does this happen? She's been adopted into the family of God. You want to see how this works? You're having trouble imagining it? How many of you guys are from heaven? But where's home? <laughs> That's how this works. Suddenly, Ruth is brought into the story of God. And where it ends is radically different than if she was not inside the story of God. And so hope has sprung up. How? Because heaven, because God, because redemptive history has now placed her on the other side of the goat-sheep discussion. The other side of the chasm. She now will join good old Lazarus. Matter of fact, she beat him there, huh? In Abraham's bosom. 
She'll be part of that worshiping throng who sees the, the lamb that was slain worthy to open the scroll. She's back home to a place she never even come from. And in Christ Jesus, so are you. So lesson number five. In the face of the wreckage of sin, look at what God's grace is delivering to his people. I can appreciate Naomi and Ruth coming into town. I can appreciate the situation. It all seems terrible. But a foreign woman is at home now in a country that isn't hers. And it's the barley harvest. Somebody's going, so what? It's the first harvest of the year. Barley, flax, wheat. There's good and good coming. Whatever else they have, I don't know, but they'll have candles, beer, and bread. I don't know if y'all know it, but get some jelly, and that's a party. <laughs> I'll have water, thank you. Do you see it? I want to close with an illustration not of my making. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hymn lover. I have a well, for me, it feels impressive, an impressive collection of hymns, hymnals. And I can't read music. You know, I just can't. I mean, you know, Andrew, guys like you who know the dots and you know what to push, you know, it, I love it, you know. So when I don't know a hymn, I, I'll do one of two things. I'll say, that's a poem, or I'll make up my own tune. I have written a lot of terrible tunes while reading hymns that I didn't know the music for. I have terrible, I'm a terrible songwriter, trust me. But I read them all the time. And in some hymns, the poetry of them will strike me so deep that I have to go find them. I have to learn to sing them. I have to know the story. This is one. I'm going to share, and the words are going to come up in just a moment. Let me tell you the backstory. There was a gentleman named Henry Light. He was an Anglican, a Scottish Anglican pastor, and he had a lot of health problems, and so he traveled a lot, and he had been asked to come sit with a dying friend named William LaHunt. As William LaHunt lay dying for several days, he kept somewhat in, in delirium, somewhat not. He kept repeating the same phrase, abide with me. He was praying. The phrase stuck with Henry Light, and he wrote a poem and tucked it away, or him. It was written in hypnotic pattern. Like I said, he was a sick guy himself, and he succumbed at a very early age to, uh, to uh, tuberculosis, died at 54. His daughter had not long before that found this poem and put it to a popular uh, tune of the day. And the first time this hymn was ever sung was at Henry Light's funeral. And remember, God had given it to him at the bedside of a dying friend. The words will be here. They're They're deeper. You know I didn't write them, praise God. Listen to this. Read along with me. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay and all around I see, O thou who changest not, 
abide with me. Not a brief glance, I beg, a passing word, but as thou dwellest with thy disciples, Lord, familiar, condescending, patient, free, come not to sojourn, but abide with me. Come not in terror as the king of kings, but kind and good with healing in thy wings. Tears for all woes, a heart for every plea. Come, friend of sinners, thus abide with me. Thou on my head in early youth did smile, and through rebellious and perverse meanwhile, and though rebellious and perverse meanwhile, thou hast not left me oft as I have left thee. On to the close, O Lord, abide with me. I need thy presence every passing hour. What, by, what but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who like thyself my guide and stay can be through cloud and sunshine, Lord, abide with me. I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, O oh Lord, abide with me. Brothers and sisters, in her deepest pain, it's interesting to me that Ruth, excuse me, Naomi held on to God. But do you know what's better than that? God held on to her. Everybody in this room is going through something. Everybody. And just because your thing might be smaller or bigger than my thing, I appreciate your thing. I don't even understand all the parameters of it, but God does. Believer. My invitation to you is beg God in a fresh way to abide with you. Maybe you're not in this peaceful relationship with God. The Bible says if we believe in our heart that what Jesus did, if we believe that what Jesus did paves the way for peace with the Father, that his blood paid for our sins and averts God's wrath, and if we take that by faith, the Bible says we believe on Jesus and receive him as Lord, we'll be adopted into the family of God. It's not so much that all the stuff in your life changes at that moment, it's that your trajectory in eternity changes at that moment. You cross the great divide through Christ. And you're in the bosom of Abraham. And even if his sovereignty has brought a great weight in your life, that same sovereignty will bring a great rest. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible is Romans 8, 28, and 29. We know that for those that love God, all things work together for good. See, not all things work, to good, work together for good for everyone, but for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And what's the good that he's working? He's going to make his children just like Jesus. Tonight, I want to give a gift. This will sound strange. The gift is to everyone, but specifically to these beautiful souls that lead us in music so much. I've chosen one of my favorite songs, ministry, music ministry team. It's by a guy named Greg LaFollette. Well, actually it's not. <laughs> in the early 1800s, a guy named Thomas Moore wrote verses 1 and 2, and then a few years later, a, a guy named Thomas Hastings wrote 
verse 3, and in 2018, Greg LaFollette got a hold to it and wrote a couple verses of his own. And instead of you guys getting up here to lead us, I've asked Greg to come via YouTube <laughs> and lead us all. Since I got a hold of this song, um, I bought the album, Sight Unseen, and since I got a hold of this song, it has preached to me a thousand times over. My invitation to you believers, ask God to comfort you, to abide with you. My invitation to anybody who doesn't know him yet, <laughs> come on to the family. I'm not going to twist your arm. I'm just going to make the invitation. I'm going to pray, and then Shannon, if you would, just hit play. The altar's open for anybody that wants to pray. But I beg you, if nothing else, hang on every word. Father, thank you for a chance to open the bread of life. Holy Spirit, do way more than I ever could. In Jesus, I pray. Amen.